Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. There might have been some things on your table that uh, you'd want to skip, but there's a table that you don't want to miss. Friends, the gospel is said to be the story of one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. If you are a beggar and you have found a steady source of food, even if it's crumbs from the table, that is the master's table, you've got to tell someone the good news lest they die without hope. It would be of first importance to let others know the good news that you had found food. When Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the Corinthian church, he reminded them of the time when he, a beggar, told them, a whole host of beggars, where to find the bread of life. That is Jesus Christ. It was the most important news he'd ever received, and it was the most important news that he needed to pass on to them. And as Paul reminded them and us today, the gospel is not something you simply get once. It is something that you grow deeper in throughout your life. So from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then It was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray together. Father, bring your truth upon our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord, you know many rest and hope in trying their best to be good, mixed with a bit of religion. Some rest on the faith tradition of their parents or of their generations gone by. Some see you only as a crutch for the weak. But Lord, I ask you today that you bring the truth and the weight of the gospel upon us this morning. And in this moment, Lord, that many would be set free, that they too could sing thank you for the blood, and that we could say with Paul, 
that by the grace of God, I am what I am. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to address with you three truths this morning from our text. That Paul reminded the Corinthian believers in this passage, which serves either as a reminder for you on this day, it might serve as a warning or an announcement because it's the first time you've heard it. But here it is. Paul reminds us three things. First, he reminds us of the message of the gospel. Second, the power of the gospel. Third, the result of the gospel. We're going to work through all three of those. Don't worry if you didn't just write that down on your paper. It's all right. We got some time, all right? And also, if you got them all down, don't get up and leave because you just got the whole message. Doesn't count, all right? Let's first look at the message of the gospel. We find that in the first four verses of what we've read. In verse 1, Paul had been to Corinth. You go back to Acts chapter 18, you'll find where he had spent 18 months preaching and proclaiming the gospel in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a, a, metro, a, a metropolis. It was on the sea, it was on the crossroads. There's lots of trade happening, lots of uh, amazing things commercial-wise happening. It's also quite the melting pot of world religions. You've got the Romans and the Greeks with all their stuff and all their gods, thousands. You've got the Jews, a very healthy presence of Jewish believers there. Or, well, Jews, not believers in Christ, but Jews in the synagogue that are there, and uh, they're worshiping and, and carrying on in their synagogue. And you got a whole host of other religions all mixed in. And you got the Greeks who are there who love wisdom. You got the Jews who want signs and all the things happening. And he spent 18 months in the city of Corinth. At one point, Paul had spent time in the synagogue sharing the gospel, preaching about Jesus, pointing back to those scriptures. And of course, as was often the case, the Jews were quite upset with him that he was there doing that. And so he turned from the synagogue and, and ministering to them and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles or the Greeks. God spoke to Paul in a vision while all that was happening and reminded him, Paul, don't be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. For I have many people in this city who are my people. And so Paul continued to preach the gospel for several more months. And that's where the church began. And now, at the writing of this letter, he's in Ephesus, which is Acts chapter 19, if you want to track some of the history of the book of Acts. But, depending on which translation you're reading from, Paul set out to remind the Corinthians in chapter 15 that the gospel message that he, is, he had preached upon his arrival in Corinth. It was of first importance. The gospel is always of first importance to the health of the church. The gospel is always of first importance to those who have been saved. The gospel is the first of important messages that those who are not saved need to hear because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, as Paul's writing this, it is a bit of a, a mild rebuke because some of the Corinthians have strayed off course some of the Corinthian believers have, have heard other gospels or they've heard some other teaching coming, being mixed in with the gospel, and that's pulled them off of the most important thing, which is always the gospel. And so Paul, in a, in a mild rebuke of sorts, is reminding them of the elements of the message of the gospel. And it plays out because of what comes ahead of us, the resurrection. Yes, Christ is the first, 
But when we breathe our last and we go to sleep, as the scriptures, New Testament often calls a believer who has died, we wait that resurrection, that final resurrection. There are some Corinthians who were denying the resurrection and yet calling themselves believers. This is a big issue for Paul because the resurrection is, is the key to the gospel. The cross, but the resurrection seals it all. The resurrection makes it so. So the gospel would always face and continue to face that kind of opposition. But when the church loses its confidence in the gospel, when we lose our clarity of the gospel, and when we lose those two things, we begin to have our community, the community of the church, begins to change. When we lose the gospel message, and that gets a church in crisis mode, and that's a bit where the Corinthians are at this point. Let's think about our confidence. When we lack faith in the power of the gospel to change a life, then we're lacking confidence in the very life-changing message that at one time we heard and we believed, and that has changed our life. When we lack confidence in the gospel, it begins to affect our clarity. That gospel message that was once so clear becomes muddied water. Some in our day love to tweak that message because it's a new day, because we need a bigger, better, flashier gospel, a more improved gospel. But this gospel has stood for over 2,000 years and it doesn't need to change. It occupied God's plan all through the Old Testament. So for the thousands upon years that are in the Old Testament, God was moving the story to this point of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. And now he moves us forward to the return. So when our confidence and our clarity in the gospel are muddied, it begins to affect the community of the church. And because we lack those first two things, churches will unite around something else. Churches will unite around worship style. Churches will unite around preaching style or denominational differences or governance or politics. We'll, we'll gather around social justice activities and activism. But we cease being those who are called out, the called out sent people of God carrying this message of the gospel to the nations when we lose the clarity of the gospel and our confidence in the gospel. And so Paul is writing to correct that. What is it that Paul preached to them? The gospel. He says it was of first importance, so let me share it with you. This is where on your handout, if you're taking notes, the three circles. The three circles is not unique to me. It, it was developed by Jimmy Scroggins, who is a pastor of Family Church in Southern Florida. He spent some time at Southern Seminary as well. This is a tool that he developed to help us share the gospel. In fact, you can download this on your, on your iPhone. For those of you who have been praying for your one and uh, need a way to share the gospel with them, this is an excellent tool. But I wanted to share it with you so that you could see it and so that it would just be clear as, clear as day what the gospel is and how we can see it. We first start with the gospel when we think of God's design. God's design. Think back to creation. Like, Think about what is around us now. The beauty, the purpose, the evidence of God's design. It's all around us. Now, God's not in the tree, but he's the one that created the trees. It's not, he's not in the ocean, but he's the one that told the water, you can come this far and no further. He's not the stars, but we can look up to the stars and see the beauty of his creation as he set each one in its place. He's not the sun itself, 
but he put that sun into place and put our planet the exact distance our planet needed to be in order to sustain life. Just a little bit closer, we're too hot. A little little bit further away, man, we're getting snow in South Texas every day. You know what I'm saying? Be miserable. He designed everything. In fact, the Bible tells us that God originally planned a world that worked perfectly. Everything in it was in its place. Everyone fit together in harmony. You're thinking of Adam and Eve in the garden. They had a very special and unique relationship with God in that place. He had provided every form of food that they could possibly need. And that in that design, God made each one of us with a purpose. And that was to worship him and walk with him every day in that garden. And the Bible says when he finished creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, he says, God saw all that he had made and called it good. In fact, he says it's very good. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Man, just look at Facebook when we have a beautiful sunrise here in Rockport, Texas. Facebook's littered with pictures. I don't know what y'all are doing up that early, but it's there. Some of you night owls love the sunsets on the backside. Man, this is one of the few places in Texas where you get one and and you get both of them. It's beautiful. God's handiwork, glorious. But then the fall happens. Sin crept in. With Adam and Eve in the garden, they ate from the tree that God had specifically commanded them not to. And they gave in to the temptation by the serpent. Sin is simply defined as when we ignore God. When we walk away or step away from that original design for our lives, we selfishly insist on doing things our own way. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. God didn't really say that. He didn't really intend for you to follow his word, did he? Oh, yes, he did. That was his design. And from the moment that sin crept in, when we wanted to be God's ourselves, when we wanted to know everything God knew and have the same kind of power that he has, sin has always been at play. We all sin, and we've all distorted that original design and the consequence of our sin, because there's a consequence for every decision you make. Every action you take, there is a reaction, is there not? That's physics 101, but God put all of that into place too. Sin separates us from God in this life and for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't need to look around this morning and say, well, they haven't been here since last Easter. Let me pull that plank out of my own eye before I start worrying about the speck in my brother's. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We do not escape that. Genesis chapter 4, God speaking to Cain, he says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. And when we sin, when we step away, when we transgress, by the way, what is sin? What's an example? Okay, raise your hand if you've ever told a lie. Some of you ain't raising your hand. You just did. Welcome to the club, okay? That's a sin. We are in the club. 
We are in. There's no way around it. And what the Bible says is that as we've all sinned and we, we fall short of the glory of God, that's missing the mark of God's intended design, his glory. What the Bible also says then is the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. Now, our wages may not be what they used to be until inflation hit, but I guarantee you the judgment of sin is only going to get worse. The wages of sin is death. Now, when we hit sin, when we think about sin, it leads to your next circle, which is called brokenness. Here's how you know. This is what sin looks like in your life. It looks like brokenness. Sin leads to a place of brokenness. We see it all around us. And if, even if you look hard enough on the inside of your life, you'll find it there. You'll find your own brokenness. You don't need to go looking for somebody else's and point it out to them. You only need to look inside to see that it's true. When you realize that life isn't working, when you realize that the things in your life, your broken relationships, your broken families, broken homes, broken jobs, broken everything, something's missing, that there's this, somehow this eternal weight that is there, this thirst that needs to be quenched, and so we start looking for a way out, and we start going in all kinds of different directions, and boy, are there hundreds and hundreds of directions today to try to figure it out. Perhaps God got me wrong, and I'm supposed to be someone else. Perhaps I'm not loving the right person, and that person over there looks so much more inviting, I'm going to leave this person that I said I would love forever and go love that person instead. We start chasing it. It could look like images on a computer. It could be some kind of substance that makes us feel good, that we find our relief in, too much of. It could be a false religion. There are thousands, literally thousands of false religions out there. But we're all looking for the same thing. We're looking for something to set us free from the brokenness and the chains of our sin. Brokenness leads to a place of realizing that there's something greater that's missing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, here's what we've all done, that we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, that's me, man, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Psalm chapter 38, see if you find the brokenness in this song of David. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Iniquities is another word for sin. They've gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart, the turmoil. That sounds like brokenness to me. That sounds like a man who is in over his head in sin and can't find a way out, and he's been trying to do it on his own, but there's no way out. And so he's turning back to the Lord, and this here at the point is the gospel. The gospel is good news. It is the remedy for what ails us. 
Because of his love, God did not leave us or will not leave us in our brokenness. He offered a plan that Jesus, being fully God, fully man, came to be one of us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he came to us and he lived perfectly according to God's design. The Old Testament, he got it right. Every single law, he got it right. And he did so for us. And in getting it right, in his righteousness, Jesus came then to rescue us, to do what we could not do for ourselves. And that at the cross, he took our sin and our shame, paying the penalty for our sins, which is the wrath of God, being poured out on him, not for his sin, for our sin. Paul said, this is the message that is of first importance. Christ died for our sins, not according to Paul's word, but according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. Most likely, Paul has in mind the prophet Isaiah chapter 53. That's the chapter called the suffering servant, and it goes through some of the harsh things that Christ, the Lamb of God, would face where it says Christ was pierced for our transgressions, another word for sin, crushed for our iniquities. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. The punishment for our peace was on him at the cross because all we like sheep have gone astray. What we're talking about here is that Christ was your substitute. He was your substitute, and in his substitutionary death, it brings salvation to those who will believe in that message, and in that Christ Jesus. But otherwise, if you choose not to, you'll remain lost without him. Not only was Christ crucified for our sin and buried, but then he was also raised from the dead, which is why we're here today, to provide the only way for us to be rescued, the only way for us to be restored to a relationship with God. It is this being raised from the dead, the resurrection where the Corinthians were struggling. I'd venture to say many people would struggle with that. I've never seen someone come back from the dead. But without the resurrection, Paul says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Meaningless. But Paul pointed them back to the scriptures. What did the scriptures say? Jesus himself testified that he would be torn down and in three days be rebuilt. That was a reference to the crucifixion and the resurrection. As a part of the reminder, Paul says he didn't just rise from the dead, but he appeared to many people. Paul gives a quick rundown there starting in verse 5 of those who were eyewitnesses to the physical resurrection of Jesus. He says in verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, 
Then to the 12, that's the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That means that they've passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, the one writing this letter, he appeared to me, which happened when Paul was on his way to persecute more Christians and arrest him and put him in prison. Maybe even observe a stoning or two along the way. Paul gave us that rundown of eyewitnesses. I don't know if you've followed some of the trials recently on TV. Thinking of the, the trial that was happening in South Carolina a while back, uh, some lawyer. Uh, you know, but the eyewitness testimony is always key in a murder trial. Any trial, for that matter, but especially a murder trial. Eyewitness accounts, and that the eyewitnesses match up. So if you were to put this on trial today, you would have to make room for over 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses that saw Jesus, talked to him, they heard him speaking, they saw, in fact, maybe witness number one might even be old Thomas himself, who put his hands and saw the scars himself and then believed. Alistair Begg asked the very important question, how then does this group of believers whose messianic hopes had been buried in the Palestinian tomb not only continue to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but stand in the streets near where he had been executed and make unashamed declaration of his messiahship? The answer which comes reverberating through the pages of the New Testament is only found in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. When they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, when they saw Jesus himself standing in front of them in the room they had been praying in, hope and joy and power ignited their hearts. The resurrection declares that Jesus, Messiah, will defeat his enemies, restore his people, and that he will reign forever. Why? Because God loved the world. He loved his creation and he loves people, so much so that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. I love the way Paul wrote it in Colossians chapter two. He said, he erased the certificate of debt and has taken it out, has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Let's talk about the power of the gospel for a moment. Look at verse nine, 10, and 11. By the grace of, uh, excuse me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. The power of the gospel. Friends, there is transformational power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am the least of these. As one untimely born, Christ appeared to me on the road to Damascus. He wasn't with the other apostles. He was not a part of Jesus' ministry. He was persecuting that ministry. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus encountered him, took his sight, called out to him, why are you persecuting me? Paul changed, Paul's life was changed that day. Paul was called then to be a missionary and an apostle to the Gentile people, those who are not Jew, to take the gospel to the nations. And then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, the grace of God. Not one of us deserve what Christ has done for us. None of us deserve a resurrected Savior. 
that by the grace of God, we go forward. For those who are united in Christ, the truth of the gospel will always produce a transformed life. For some people, they're able to put that addiction down immediately. For others, it may take some time. The gospel works to heal our broken relationships and brings about healing in the home. That's why the gospel is not just a starting point. It it is what sustains us. It is what finishes us. It is what gets us across the finish line. It's not just something that we embrace at the beginning of this race, which Paul says, the gospel that you received, but it is also the source of strength throughout our Christian life because Paul says, remember of first importance, the gospel that I preached to you in which you stand. They didn't receive the gospel then and leave the gospel or go away from the gospel. No, they're to stand on the gospel. It is the power of the gospel that takes the proud man, the Paul, the Pharisee, and humbles him. More than that is the gospel message about Jesus Christ who takes a dead man and makes him live. Paul says it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your name is, who you are now. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter how many times you've been arrested or should have been arrested. It doesn't matter. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Because God was rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even we were, when we were dead in our transgressions, in our sin, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved that which we do not deserve. It is a supernatural working of God, friends. And it is captured in that old hymn, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood. To every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Well, in light of the gospel message, what do we do? Well, the Bible calls you to repent and believe. Repent and believe. Simply hearing the good news is not enough. Just hearing the good news, there is no salvation in that. You must repent and believe. God calls. There is a personal responsibility on your part that you must repent and believe. It's called faith. We have to admit our brokenness before God. Stop trusting in ourselves, knowing that we don't have the power to escape brokenness on our own, but rather God is offering us this rescue. So we ask God to forgive us. We turn away from our sin. That's what repentance is, a turning away from leaving the sin and turning to Jesus. I was explaining that to one of my boys the other day. You know what a U-turn is? Yep. So that's what repentance is. You're going the wrong way. You got it, men, we're bad about that. You got to admit you're going the wrong way, not, oh, I'll find my way. When it... No, just admit you're going the wrong way. Make a U-turn and go the right way. Go God's way. That's what the simplest illustration I can give you for repentance. 
Repent and believe. Now, believing, we receive the new life in Jesus, and God begins to turn our life around in that new direction. The message of Jesus when he began proclaiming the kingdom was repent and believe the good news. For by grace, Paul writes, you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. It's not a work so that no one can boast before the Lord. It's trusting and believing. Now, here's what it looks like. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right, quickly, let's look at the result of the gospel. Here again, we see the effects of the grace of God. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. God's grace is at work in me. Paul writes a letter to a young man that's in the ministry with him named Timothy. It's his protege, if you will. Here's Paul's testimony to Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Listen to what he was. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent, and an insolent opponent, arrogant, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or the worst. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the result of the gospel as it is preached. That if you trust in Jesus, you are changed in an instant and set on a path to grow in Christ's likeness. It's not a physical change. That'll happen one day. But in this moment, that old heart of sin and stone is removed by the Lord in a supernatural way, and he puts in a new heart, one that marks the beginning of a new life in Christ. And as you believe it, Paul says, that we take our stand, we hold firmly to the word that Christ Jesus is our sure and steady anchor in the storm. And we begin that process of growing and being formed and shaped into the likeness of Christ. So as we go forward then, what it looks like is that we are in a recovery and pursuit play, uh, method, uh, a lifestyle. We are recovering from our sin and we are pursuing Christ's likeness. And God restores our relationship to him. We begin to deliver, uh, discover the meaning that we have in Christ, the purpose that God has for our life in this broken world, which is to bring others along with us. Because now I am a beggar who has found crumbs at the master's table, and I must go find the other beggars and tell them where to find crumbs from the bread of life. And that even when we fall and stumble, that we understand that there is a pathway to restoration. Friends, God's spirit empowers us to pursue his design. His spirit enables us and the, assures us of his presence in this life and for all of eternity. The Bible says that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
In light of that news, what should you do now? God wants you to respond to him this morning. This is why you're here. God wants you to respond to him, and so you talk to him. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, confessing is talking. And you believe that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And so we talk to the Lord. It's called prayer. What does that look like? Well, it would look something like this. God, my life is broken. I admit I've got sin, and I need you. I believe Christ, Jesus, came to live and die and be raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. God, please forgive me as I turn away from my sin and trust in you. And I know that Jesus is Lord of all. He's my boss, and I commit to follow him. The Bible says if you'll just talk to God, something along those lines, it doesn't have to be the exact words, just admit your brokenness before him and that you need to be forgiven and that Christ is your, your boss, your Lord. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul preached that gospel message to the Corinthians. They believed it. They received it. They're reminded to stand in it because they're being saved by it. That is the message. Friends, Christ died for your sins. Christ is risen for you. Christ is returning. Christ will reign forever. You need to, you need to get into the family because when he comes back, it's going to be too late. When you breathe your last, it'll be too late. There are no more second chances on the other side of your last breath. This is the moment. And the question you must ask yourself is this. Have I believed this gospel? Have I believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Friends, I'm just a beggar trying to tell you, another beggar, where to find crumbs from the bread of life in his table. Don't put this off any longer because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.